0: Spending all my life so long waiting for you to call me You're
1: the only one I want by my side when I fall asleep Tell me what I'm waiting for, tell me what I'm waiting for I know I'm strong, but we need each other, No i but we need each other I move my ways on my own, don't need nobody, yo Change your mind when I change my life, better stop believing in myself And we all have looking for God,
0: so we never see it in ourselves. Shit the vine in and
1: intervene and move us now? It's hard to tell where the break compels You can find me dancing in between the no raindrops, trying to find a way to
0: make the pain stop. All the time, I'm in the graveyard,
1: got a nigga feeling bad. My the, the feeling, these trademark, copywritten and all my decisions. This is not supposed to be a way of living. Turn my temple down into a prison. I'm waiting for you to call me. Oh. You're the only
0: one I want by my side. For, tell me what I'm waiting for Tell me what I'm waiting for I know it's hard but we need each other I know I saw, but we need each other Yeah, back on Vince with the braces on You slide out the back without the neighbors knowing Pose for the picture with the party whites. Deadlands zooming in, catching all my strikes Use trade drone for some money And she gave me all I need for the night Forty this advice, morning right But I need some advice And I know that I'm acting foolish When you pick me up around I'm noonish After playing here, yeah, we cool it Okay. Episode. Mm-hmm.
2: Just last week I had to uh, fill in uh, with Sam. I don't know if you listened to that um, or what you thought about that one, but I'm happy to have have daddy back home and uh, the real voice that everyone's <laughs> listening for here. Um, but this week, to celebrate the man, the legend, uh, and the most dangerous move in wrestling to date, we are the Judas Project. Um, crazy weekend! I mean, that's why I wanted to get on with, even with Sam. I say that like that. I, yeah, you know, Sam is Sam's a good guy. Um, but uh, wanted to just wanted to get on in general and talk even without you, I guess I should say. Um, just to uh, to talk about, you know, leading up into everything. We got into it, and there was a lot... Going on, um, NXT TakeOver, Cardiff, NXT UK TakeOver, um, the NJPW show happening also in England, uh, the Royal Quest.
1: Summer Sizzler, happening the day before.
2: Summer Sizzler the day before from Rev Pro, which is unfortunately unavailable to watch, so, uh... not,
1: Not even that, like maybe the most universally panned reaction I've seen for a rev pro show in a long time. Yeah. Like, they somehow messed up like one of the only money matches left in wrestling and <laughs> David Starr versus Will Ospreay. And that is really, really incredible.
2: Yeah. And I mean, on top of that, I mean, they, you've got, you know, basement level wrestlers injuring top level talent. Um, with, with, mk mckinnon taking out gresham with some kind of sloppy bullshit I mean, man i, was about,
1: I was about to say that's a real harsh shot at someone here in there
2: oh uh yeah but uh but yeah i mean and again show's not even out can't even talk about it summer sizzler has historically been one of the better shows for rev pro in general since i mean since the aj style yeah. days um they were having good great matches great stuff going on there repeatedly for the most part and then we turn around and from what it sounds like we got um again no way for us to know because we can't see it vod is still not out um meanwhile everything else is out from the weekend so it does make it weird we were talking about it off air trying to talk about the new japan royal quest show because we're sitting here talking about a show that we didn't get to see the lead up to you know we didn't get to see the build show because it's really
1: and something that was actually important into like yeah. the royal quest card because a match that influenced the royal quest card happened on summer sizzler even <laughs> though that
2: even though that match supposedly also had some a snafu and shit the bed right with a with a fast count from the referee or referee you mess,
1: you mess up you mess up the finish
2: messing up the finish which is fucking amazing i mean goddamn imagine with how over ozzy open was going into that Match that was on Royal Quest. Imagine how much more over they would have been if they had had a good match the night before. You know what the fuck? You, you, actually,
1: you actually made them look bad. Yeah, <laughs>
2: Jesus Christ. So, on, yeah. On top of that, I mean, that was an in, that was a really fucked up thing that happened on Royal Quest. So I just want to talk about it real quick. But the Aussie Open G O D match. What the fuck was the crowd doing, chanting for G O D so hard? Dude, I have. So
1: apparently they did that, they did that the night before Summer Sizzler too. And I'm just, like, I'm so confused as to what and why that is happening. Because, like, Jay White isn't getting cheered like that. They booed when, like, Jado interfered. So I'm really confused as to why we had these, like, dueling split reactions for Aussie Open and fucking Gorillas of Destiny. I It was the strangest thing. The,
2: well, here's the weird thing, and I don't remember exactly who said it. But I'll give a shout out to the the British Wrestling Experience Boys. Or I think it might have been the Grapple Podcast. I can't remember exactly. Because but both. I'm
1: pretty sure like the, the Benson guy does both, right?
2: Yeah, Benson is on both. And then this was the one that had Jamesy on it. But it wasn't Jamesy who said this. Um, but they were talking about Gorillas of Destiny and basically saying that uh, they're pretty good as a tag team and that they're fine and that all of the hate and stink that's on them is really just from. Kind of like Tamatonga not being good in G one and like in singles stuff, and that essentially the only reason why people hate on Gorillas of Destiny is because they have the you know the bad taste in their mouth from them both not being good as singles and pushed a little bit no, too much. And then also that the the tag division is boring, and I'm just kind of like, no, so like I understand the point,
1: but at the same time. When Gorilla's Destiny even first formed, they weren't having good matches. Yeah,
2: that's the thing is so, what it really comes down to. Though, coming off of that is they're just not a good tag team. Like,
1: well, well, I want to say like I feel like they've been mostly all right, even sometimes good for the last year or so. Like they have they have like the inexplicably really good stuff against um Makabe and Hanma. They had the Young Bucks tag from uh pretty sure that was Cal Palace. They had the Briscoes ladder, ladder match that was good. So they can do it, but it's, they're really inconsistent and sometimes they're just really not that fun. I think I think they're more of a frustrating team because you see that they can be good when motivated or in there with the right people.
2: Well, the thing is the idea is there and what they're doing could be good but it's like in the beginning when T- Tangaloa is just cursing and shouting the whole time. That's his thing. Yeah. And then Tama Tonga, goes into this mix of becoming like like trying to look like uh one of the shield guys but then also they're kind of he's like
1: he's like somewhere between like edge and roman reigns and it's just like, it's just like a really weird comp- it's like a really weird right. thing going and on and then as
2: a team they throw in some usos stuff because they are you know i don't think they're tongan but you know they're kind of playing
1: on that yeah they're
2: tongan but you know what i mean just to like the usos are such a popular famous team they throw in a little bit of that stuff in there too so it's like what the fuck? Like, you guys need to pick a lane and stick with it and I think that they could be interesting but I think that they go a little bit too much all over the place. Um, you know, T- tamatanga picking up the gun stun and really taking that and kind of filling in the role and really taking that entire whole area and, and stuff from Carl uh, Anderson. Them taking the magic killer from Guns and Gallows or, I mean, fuck, I, I can't even believe I just said from Guns and Gallows. Um, from Bad <laughs> Intentions. Um, So, yeah, it's just like, you know what's really weird is like,
1: we have two teams in the tag division that do the, that do the same thing. <laughs> and
2: it, it really trips me out. Yeah, I know, I know. It's fucking weird. There's so many tag team moves. Why, why? But uh, like, why, like, why do, like, why do Sonata and Evil and Gorilla's
1: Destiny both do the Magic Killer? It's, <laughs> it's the strangest. On the top world of game. the fact
2: that that move has been handed down already three generations of of fucking tag teams. You know what I mean? Went from Bad yeah. Intentions to Guns and Gallows to uh, the the GOD. And then now, also this other team, the LIG team, is picking up. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Lij just picked what up. What the some fuck? Reason.
2: Okay, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess. I don't know. It's not even that cool of a move. You would think someone would pull up the fucking killer bomb. That's a cooler move. Yeah. Like shit, that was a way cooler finishing move. Like goddamn, but whatever. Um, but yeah. So, so my point is more that like the UK crowd historically, we know this from watching. They really. Want to like stuff, and they also get like, like Stockholm syndrome. I think where like, if an act comes there enough that isn't from England, and just keeps coming, even if they're bad, but if they just keep coming, the British crowd just like starts to like them. Like they just are like, hey, at least they're at least they're showing up. It's kind of like uh, Ricky yeah. Shane Page. <laughs> Doesn't matter how bad he is, the <laughs> fact that he shows up all the time. No, I'm, I actually like Ricky Shane Page. But, uh, but, you know, you see that in the UK fans a lot. ELP, he's been bad the whole time, and eventually the crowd just started to like him. Um, you know what I mean? Like, David Starr is good, but it's another one. It just shows the, the UK crowd, if you show up for them.
1: Even yeah, David Starr, a lot of people dislike him for reasons right. that we can't talk, really talk about on I this podcast. I don't really feel <laughs> like getting
2: into it. And there's no reason for us to talk about David Starr, because the only show that he was on was the one that we can't watch. So, you know what I mean? Again, back to my fucking point. Rev Pro, get it together. Andy Quinlan, okay, so like, take yourself off so like, TV. We're over, so so we're,
1: we're all over the place, but, like, it goes for a place of frustration, too, because was like, calling card during their heyday, which is weird to say because this is only, like, two years ago, even as recently as a year ago as where, like, they are putting stuff out so quickly, but their calling card was they would put stuff out, like, so quick almost de- almost to their detriment. Yeah. They'd put stuff out that was, um, the audio wasn't great or they like editing, editing mess ups and stuff was out of sync and all that. But their calling card was that they would put stuff out quicker than anybody else in the scene would. And to see them at a point where they're just not putting stuff out, like even like waiting like weeks and weeks and weeks to put stuff out is really, really weird.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and they would put stuff out, like you were saying, a little bit too fast. Another thing, too, is that they would put stuff out where, like, the buzz hadn't caught up to America yet. So they would put out stuff with shows that had good matches where it's like nobody had even talked about it on you know online at all that, to where we would even know over here in America because it was all, you know, the time zone change. Stuff like that would happen, too, where it's like you would be like, oh, fuck, how come no one talked about this match? Oh, because no one's really seen it except for the people that were there in the building, so no one's, like, getting into it or cares. Stuff like that. And then now, yeah, it's like... Again, I don't know. Maybe, maybe things will change now that um now that Will Osprey has control of the company. Is that was that the the stipulation no. he beat David? <laughs> so maybe he can turn no. things around. We saw how good he did with his the last promotion that he ran and the one he ran before that. um So th- things will probably From, go pretty, front pretty good. Fr-
1: frontline still exists, though, right? Does
2: it? Your frontline,
1: your frontline still when, exists. When
2: was the last time they ran a show?
1: I would not be able to tell you yeah. that, but I could tell you that Frontline does I mean, exist. I could... I'm not... Uh,
2: okay, here's something I just I noticed recently uh, on Cage Match. Uh, Frontline still exists in the same way that Shingo Takage is still the Open the Onwari gate champion. Um, you know, technically... It's,
1: just, with the, it's, it's like Frontline, Gen, whatever. Like, they do, like, the young guy shows. Okay.
2: I'm pretty so sure. So he's doing just shows but with, I'm, like, I'm, his young lion guys that...
1: Yeah, okay. pr- I'm pretty sure that's, what, that's what's going on.
2: Okay. Um. Well, yeah, let's... I mean, again, like I said, I, it's weird to talk about the Royal Quest show because we can't even really talk about the matches that happened the night before. Wait,
1: wait, so, so before, before okay. we move on, because I, I like I, obviously it's weird that we're even talking about Summer Sizzler without having it. Right. But I do think it's interesting to note, and um, someone else did this on Twitter, the amount of people that RevPro is probably going to be losing as time is going on, right? right. So david Starr is in like the, the, the stipulation in a david star osprey match was that if david Starr wins he gets control of the company if david Starr loses then he is gone from ref bro like this long embroiled feud that david Starr with it was in with um andy quinlan and david Starr lost meaning he's gone from the company so david Starr, who's been a real um Real cornerstone for RevPro from the major shows to the cockpit shows to Southampton and everything, he is now gone. Where L- ELP announced after um, winning Super J Cup, I'm pretty sure, that he is moving to Japan. And now, um, guys like, you know, S- S- um, Minoru Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr., they've been involved, but how much longer are we going to expect to see these guys keep popping up? Well, Ospreay is, is coming to some RevPro less and less. And we're getting to a point now where all these guys that are, that were big parts in RevPro we're like, okay, well, how much longer are we going to keep seeing these guys? And then we go down and we see the people that have had the most matches in RevPro other than like those big guys right there. And it's like Shaw Samuels and Josh Bodum and Michael Oku and it's like, okay, clearly we are not, like, there's a disconnect here. Because after those guys, Rev Pro is in a really, really bad spot.
2: Yeah, and I mean, some might even argue even with those
1: guys. I mean... Oh, yeah, definitely. That's not a good spot to be in, yeah. like, having those guys be, like, your most regular wrestlers. I'm
2: unapologetically, like, probably a bigger fan than most people of Bodom. Um, <clears throat> always kind of Bodum, have been. Bodum's good. He's got... I like, I, I like, I like Oku, too. Yeah, I, and I think Oku as well. I think Bodum got totally opposite issues with him in that he's a really legitimately a loose cannon and a guy that really seems like he's tough to count on as someone that you could build your promotion around. And Oku, you got a different issue, which is that he's just... He's still really young. He's got... He, he's still really young, still really new. He, he leaps off the page. He's got charisma, but who knows where that's going to go? You, you know, it's really hard to... To count on someone like that, and then you've got, you know, second, third stringers it, for RevPro that are going to have to be top line guys in. MG M- M- K- McKinnon, M- McKinnon M- that I just talked M- about
1: McKinnon is like Dan Maloney. <laughs> M.K. McKinnon got to got to face ECK. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like,
2: exactly. I mean, you got guys like Dan Dan Maloney, Gabriel Kidd, I think he's going for a tour of Japan, but he's a guy that RevPro could have been building something around. But another one who's there's not much to him. It's weird because
1: M- Gabriel, K- Gabriel Kid, I'm pretty sure, is in the LA W. Oh, is like, he? Okay,
2: I thought he was going on a tour yeah, in pre- Japan. I'm- coming pretty yeah, soon I'm
1: pretty sure Gabriel Kidd is a, is a LA dojo guy yeah. now so Gabriel Kidd another one who could have been like one of your brightest young stars to do stuff with and he might still be coming to Rev Pro semi regularly. but he's a LA dojo guy I'm pretty sure
2: Yeah, and, and to me it's weird because the first gen Young Lions for Rev Pro seemed like they had it and they were getting put together and then they all got skipped over and kind of disappeared with like Curtis Chapman and Rob Lias being the biggest standout ones it's like kind of what the fuck happened with them how come neither one of them really feels important to this company now? Like they really should have been built up.
1: Curtis Chapman, they were trying, and then Curtis Chapman, they just sort of like skipped over him for LP.
2: Right, exactly, and that's that was the thing last year. I was going to mention that when we we're talking about David Starr and his feud with Quinlan. I really loved Starr's work last year, feuding with Chapman, Lias, and and uh, ELP you know throughout th- especially on the cockpit shows but then this year like kind of switching the feud over into being with more with the company and more with Andy Quinlan I really lost a lot of my favor and my kind of connection to it and then also on top of that like you said the show's just not coming out so that hurt that hurt it as well but it's just it's kind of like why didn't you keep him feuding with people and ha- just help get people over instead of switching his feud over to feuding with the company and not really getting anybody over on the way out i mean osprey beating... well
1: beatings- I, guess, I guess like you know, like obviously, like you get that they needed some big marquee match to put on the show, and you know, frankly, they don't have a lot of stuff that they could have done for that. But at the same time, like knowing that David Starr is on his way out, and that David Starr in general might be on his way out from independent wrestling, which is a different topic for a different day. Whenever like we start getting more confirmation on if David has any bu- dates booked for October, but it. It's really weird that you do that, and then David Starr, who's been such a big part in the company for the last couple of years, he loses to someone that's already a big star in Will Ospreay, and like no one gains from that, especially when the match was bad too. Like, no one is gaining anything from what you just did,
2: right? Yeah, I know. You You come out of that, and you had this big thing, and and I, I'm sitting here talking about how much bullshit and how I don't really care about it having him feuding with Andy Quinlan and the company itself. But in a weird way, the only person who comes out of the out of that with any kind of overness that you can help with the company is now Quinlan because he's the, basically. No, it's
1: not because even no, it's not because even then Quinlan was getting involved and people were booing it. Like right. people didn't want that. People were walking out right because of that. And yeah. now you get to the point of like, well, Quinlan's been on screen. He's been on screen in RevPro for a long time. Not always in a feuding capacity, but even getting back to like RevPro TV, he was he was hosting it. He's always been a ring announcer, been a commentator, and he's all over the product. Now we're getting to a point where he's getting so involved in the matches. I like, no, no one wants no. that. And especially when Andy, Andy Quinlan isn't interesting or good at it either. No,
2: <laughs> I, I really like him in the role that he has played as like a utility guy for the company who just kind of fills in places and then kind of don't even reference on screen that he was in charge or the owner or anything. So yeah, like getting him involved. And,
1: and, this, and this is like this is where you start to appreciate Jim Smallman more. And is like I get it. To a lot of people like Jim Smallman's whole monologue to open progress shows and Jim Smallman getting involved getting involved in angles and all that, they might have might not have liked it. But I can say that for Jim Smallman, he was better at that, whether it was like trying to get over how Upset he was that one of the heels won a match, or getting involved, and the heat that would like the heat that attacking Jim Smallman would get from the audience. Jim Smallman, it it worked. With everybody else, I just is for in this. It's not like Jim Smallman invented this kind of role, but he's one of the only guys in in recent memory that has done the whole. I'm the Booker, but I'm also an on-screen character that gets beat up and involved sometimes. And he's the only one that's really made it work in a meaningful way.
2: Yeah, and they did a really good job with the transition throughout, from the beginning to the end, that made it really feel authentic and smooth. Because it started out, he was the you know the ring, the 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 ring announcer. But then also, it was like, and he, you know, his social media and everything pushed it like, oh, but he's a fan too, so he hangs out and is very prominent in the crowd watching the show. You know, from the beginning and then. When eventually the big angle that really gets him involved physically with with the show on the show proper is with Jimmy Havoc basically saying he's going to murder him, set him on fire, whatever. Um, So it really worked. And then from there, it was like that was like, again, like I said, that felt like authentic development that came from like, oh, this makes sense. We've gone a few shows, but not an insane amount of shows. But then now this is the first time he's getting physically involved, and then from there it makes sense that every now and then he can get physically involved because you've really set that. Yeah,
1: but even then, like we look at that, and then Jim hasn't really been involved in like a physical way since then. Right. Jim will do like, like say like British Strong style back in there, back in their um progress run. If they would cheat and just do like whatever and do a whole bunch of wild heel bullshit to win a match, Jim Smallwood would. Be really like, clearly be upset, very monotone, very hushed. He's not as loud and enthusiastic as he is, like doing his introductions. If a heel cheats and wins, here's your winner, Pete Dunn. Like, and he sells it that way. No one else it could, is really doing that. Andy Quinlan, who's stuck on the same mode, whether it's commentary, ring announcing, or even him acting like he's angry, it just doesn't work,
2: right? And that, I mean, that was something we talked about when we were talking about Jim leaving the company, is that he really. Out of the three guys that are, you know, the three mates of progress, he was the one who really continued from the beginning until the end to make himself kind of like a stand-in for the audience. And you could see him and you really felt connected to him. Like I said, he feels, he presented himself as, yes, he's the ring announcer, but he's also a fan, so that's why you see him there watching the show. He's still connected to it. He's still engrossed in it, and you kind of live vicariously through him as also a fan. Quinlan, that was never it, because Quinlan would come out, do the ring announcing, and then disappear, And then maybe be on commentary, but he didn't have that, you know, that connection. So then when you then just plug him in and then now he's also the, you know, the owner and all this and that, and he's the booker and he's getting involved in a feud with David Sarr, it just, it feels awkward. On top of which, yes, he's not a super charismatic figure. So he doesn't have, he just doesn't leap off the page to be very entertaining, (laughs) you know, when it comes out of it.
1: Yeah, I didn't expect us to just sit here and like rail on Andy Quinlan seems like a great guy ten minutes honestly
2: seems like a really but, great guy yeah, and, and he and he's
1: done great and he's done great work in Rev Pro and turning it around and like like offering like genuine dream matches in, uh, yeah. in a la- wrestling landscape where like there hasn't been like so like, like there hasn't been that many of those but I think Rev Pro is really really on the decline right now and the fallout of Os- osprey versus star i can't imagine that there's good things coming from that
2: yeah i hope that they figure it out i mean since the split with the ipw and then turning into its own thing with rev pro and and the development it's been really interesting the way that they've done such a good job of not just jumping on the big imports which they actually honestly probably did the best out of anyone historically i think any british company There's not any that have done as well as grabbing the big-name imports, integrating them into their product, and making them feel like they help benefit the show and make the show bigger and better, honestly, than they have done, really. I mean, Progress had the early on, like, the edict of being like, we're never going to use imports, and then eventually just, like, all imports and a lot of them, which didn't really feel like they had any connection to the show at times, and then just take over the show at times, all that kind of stuff. RevPro did a really good job of integrating them early on and then throughout the history of the company. But then until now, they really have... It feels like they've fallen into the same trap that ROH did, which is that they've become the New Japan whipping boy, you know? And and, and this is the show of it. I mean, RevPro runs their show the day before. It's not out. It sounds like it was a fucking shit show with a lot of mistakes. Then the next night, our, you know New Japan runs their show that's treated kind of as if it's a joint show but it's it's really a separate new japan show it's like like they're like
1: okay they took e, they took elp elp is moving to japan like right. that's that's a done deal aussie open aussie open has been a important cog in a lot of european wrestling promotions so i'm not going to sit here and act like this is like specifically hurting rev pro but when aussie open when you assume that from everything that's been said, Aussie Open is gonna, like Aussie Open in New Japan is going to be a more consistent thing as time goes on, and we've known that. Kyle Fletcher, Kyle Fletcher and Tanahashi had an interaction where Tanahashi was saying that, "Hey, couple years, put some muscle on, come to Japan, you'll be a star." Like, like we knew that this was coming, but I think in like in one fell swoop, they're now losing ELP, Aussie Open for the most part, and David Starr is now officially gone from the company. It's, like what can you do with that right because there's no prominent in like u.s indie workers to really bring over and, and make and make your own that that'll, that'll like justify the cost of flying somebody out it's it's a really weird position to be in
2: yeah and i mean and look at this this card uh, the royal quest card is a new japan show i mean from the sequencing the booking you've got a few people on the show that work RevPro regularly a few uk names zach saber jr or you know but the the ones that are on this show are the ones that you expect are now new japan pretty much through and through the only team the only people who come across and they happen to be a team as not being new japan yet is Aussie open we talk about it i mean that's been rumored out about for a while and it feels like you know the ink is all but dry on the contract for that and the rumors are you know constantly flying around and there's a chance that aussie open could end up signing somewhere else as well but it, it seems like new japan is the place for them and that's where they're gonna go so realistically there's nobody else on this fucking card that's a rev pro person in any way really um and then you've got guys who were on the show the night before that could have easily been stuck on this show at least somewhere to give rev pro something To have some of their guys on the show? No
1: no one wants to book fucking MK McKinnon.
2: Right, but I mean, (laughs) there's a few, you know, like, why couldn't Mike Oku have been somewhere on here? But I guess also, I mean, the way this show is fucking set up, like, it's the same way that New Japan shows are. Where everything on the undercard is pointless, throwaway tag team matches that, you know, we're going to get into a little bit more. Royal Quest, I mean, the streaming issues repeatedly. It almost wouldn't be worth it to have your guys on this show because... Part of their, you know, half of their match is gonna get fucked up by streaming issues throughout the whole thing. You no one's gonna even get a chance to see them. So I don't know. Um, yeah, it just feels like Rev Pro is getting, they're getting the ROH treatment, and it's. We'll see what happens. Will Will New Japan try the same thing in the UK that they did in America, which hasn't seemed to work out super well for them? It's like it's still, it's still up in the air to see what they decide to do. You know. Yeah. I guess
1: we can move on now and talk about Roadquest Quest a little bit. But a fair warning, we're not going to sit here and review the entire show. Um, I don't know. I guess, I guess we can start with Birds of Prey. Yeah, that was the <laughs> only thing from the
2: undercard that I cared about was Birds of Prey kind of debuting for the first time.
1: Yeah, Birds of Prey. Um, Osprey and Robbie Eagles versus Taji Shimori and El Phantasmo. My only takeaway, I mean, this was fun, but yeah, I really want to see more of um Osprey and Eagles as a team. They clearly have a lot of fun wrestling together.
2: Yeah, I it just it's again it feels like the Young Bucks situation from a little while ago. It's that they're they're really fun. They can probably put together some great matches, but if they are going to continue to have them just be in the junior tag, then there's not a lot of teams for them to really sink their teeth into big matches and they're not really going to be positioned in a way where they're going to get anything important
1: i mean not that you really because remember like because because remember these they're still chaos right so uh, you're probably not gonna get some big rapungi 3k versus robbie eagles and osprey
2: matches. yeah so we're gonna end up basically just wanting this team to be something and it's probably not gonna happen um but i would like to see a lot more of them them in tag league them aussie open and tag league now that's an interesting tag league you know what i mean those are two teams that Mm -hmm. can really help spice up the whole thing to make it a little bit more interesting
1: um, Chase Owens, Chase Owens and Jay White versus not Tetsuya Naito. Um, only takeaway: Tetsuya Naito really, really fucking over. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I thought that Naito and J. White probably lo- looked a little bit better together in this match than they did when they when in G One. What, what do you think? Yeah,
2: I mean, you're probably right. There, Naito is always tends to be the most over guy. It seems in when they're in foreign countries, it's weird. I mean, even out of. You know, kind of the big. I guess you'd say that there's a big three, maybe a big four, um, in New Japan right now. Um, if you include Abushi as part of that, oh yeah, Abushi. Yeah, there. so like Abushi, Tanahashi, Okada, Naito. It seems in foreign countries, shows uh, Naito is always the most over, honestly. And and then, that can and be then, and
1: then Minoru Suzuki and Ishii are. Yeah, right
2: well, there. and because they've spent a lot of time in Rev Pro, so that's you know site yeah, specific. They're pretty much regulars, but yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that yeah, I think that I think Naito and Jay White could maybe have a good match eventually here, especially because had yeah, the charisma that they showed here. This match, though, for me also hurt again by the streaming issues a lot in this match. It felt like there was a lot of streaming issues. A lot of chunks of the match just kept getting interrupted because of it cutting out in the middle. So that was a that was an issue for me at least. I don't know if maybe you got a VOD version of it or something where it wasn't as messed
1: up yeah the v, yeah the BOD I uh, got was bad okay yeah um yeah so this wasn't particularly great just I thought the Naito and Jay White it was encouraging like I'm not gonna sit here and I say, say I predict that they're gonna have a great title match um when they face off with Destruction and Kobe but it was definitely encouraging right um, up
2: next we got Aussie Open versus Gorillas of Destiny and I think all last we talked about it a little what's bit. what's up
1: so we talked about it a little bit, but yeah. um,
2: I I, I like the match. Yeah, I,
1: it was just it was just a really strange reaction that the crowd had.
2: Yeah, the crowd reaction was weird, and I would say like you know last year I talked about it with Aussie Open being that like their matches are always good but super forgettable and all kind of feel samey, and this felt different for an Aussie Open match, but it felt worse, <laughs> you know. So unfortunately, I'm. I won't put that on them completely, but it, it does kind of show that hopefully they can get it together when it comes to wrestling teams that aren't quite as good at just keeping up with them and, and teams that aren't willing to do all the stuff that they do um, if they can continue to have good showings. Because, yeah, like last year, the year before, even a little bit but less so, but last year really, I mean, it felt like everything was so felt so repetitive and so the same and it was always, you know... Three plus star match, no matter what, pretty much every time from them, but it just kind of all blend together. Um, want to see them be able to stretch their legs a little bit here and, and against different teams and teams in New Japan, stuff like that, where they have to mix things up a little bit more, and uh, and then hopefully we can start to see them a little bit more. I don't think that it's going to be an issue. And I thought that it was cool that they broke out some new stuff here. Seeing Mark Davis do the low main pain here was pretty cool. Yeah, that was,
1: that was wild. Yeah,
2: and, and Mark Davis in general was looking really good here. Um, Kyle Fletcher obviously as well, but, but Mark Davis looked good here. And it's been a while since I've been excited about Davis because I had kind of accepted that maybe he wasn't going to end up everything I thought he could be. But we'll see how it comes, how it kind of comes together. Um, after that Kenta versus Ishii, I don't know – I don't know. What did you think
1: of that? It's sort of even not worth talking about. Like, the beginning of it when Kenta is not concussed is really fun. Like, the, you see that there's a great match in there. But then Kenta gets concussed and they keep wrestling. So, like, I'm, I don't even feel right talking about the match because one dude was clearly really fucked up. And the fact that they finished the match, um, like, probably shouldn't have happened. But there's New Japan, and they've never, they never really call off matches like that, so um, I mean, yeah, nothing really to talk about. But other than I hope that they redo this match sometime down the line, because like I said, it's Kenta and Tama Hiroishi, and that'd be it'd be a shame if we didn't get see that uh, get done right next time.
2: Yeah, and honestly, even to me, I didn't, I didn't think that it. Was super obvious that it was, you know, an issue with Kenta. Obviously, I didn't. I honestly didn't even know that he had supposedly got a concussion until you just said that right now. I had wondered why it felt like the match really fell off, and especially with all the big interference from God that happened, um, kind of took away from it. But uh, knowing that, I mean,
1: it's 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 like clear. Like, like watch him sit there and like try to throw like that discus lariat. Like, yeah, that's not like that's not that's not Kenta in his right mind. The way that they fall over. On the on the on the on the suplex, like it's very clear. I get probably watching it live, and you're just thinking like, "Oh man, wow, this match went off the rails." So you're not really thinking about it, but no, the guy was clearly clearly fucked.
2: Up. Yeah, and like I said, and again, also with the interference, kind of. I just figured like, oh, you know, the reason why I didn't like the second half of the match as much is because the interference also hurt. But knowing that now, it did it did feel like Kenta did kind of change gears towards the end, and he was looking really good in the beginning. And it sucks because this was kind of his coming out party for now after. Having, I won't say a bad G1, but a disappointing G1 in that I think people expected a lot from him. So then when you switch to heel and he, now it's like, okay, maybe we can get something out of Kenta that we want. And then first big match to show that off, he gets a concussion and and ends up not you know having a terrible showing, but just obviously you're not going to have a great match with a concussion. It's just the way it goes. So, so yeah, um, follow that up. Zack Sabre Jr. versus Tanahashi. These guys are beautiful together. I mean, just probably yeah just tailor-made opponents for each other the way that tanahashi uh what was, i want to remember the exact quote from simon on the twitter that got people upset the best mat working ace the the,
1: be, the he's like the best pro style um japanese mat wrestler of of the generation or yeah ever of the last like that. three decades and a, and or, a, or like, something yeah yeah and it was like there's a whole bunch of caveats in that tweet that people just like skipped over and were like best mat best japanese mat wrestler it's like yeah. no just best pro style japanese mat wrestler he's not he's not comparing him to nobuhiko takada or, or yoji anjo yeah right he's
2: not saying that he's cicada or anything you know um yeah like weird very weird that people got upset about that but it, what he said is true i mean and i you know i'll put the caveat as like a top guy like an ace level worker like you know new japan in general like Tanahashi puts effort into his mat work, and going up against someone like Zack Sabre Jr. is awesome because Zach is so good at that too that he gets to show it off a little bit more. And that's what they do, opening up the match. Obviously, the limb work, focus, selling, and everything from Tanahashi is great, and that's I mean that's why it works again because Zach is such so good as a demented, twisted prick. Tanahashi is so great selling underneath, fighting back, but then they can also go when it comes to the wrestling side of things. So you're getting really everything you want out of a wrestling match you're getting not just quality you know character work selling heel face dynamics but you're also getting that real crisp you know attention to detail style grappling so you know these these guys are just fucking heaven when they wrestle each other it's it's crazy how good their charisma is or you know i guess charisma with each other chemistry i think is what people usually say um with each other is phenomenal, and I honestly would say that their matches just keep getting better. Like, I, I don't know if that's crazy, but do you? What do you think? Like in the pantheon of their matches against each other?
1: Yeah, I probably dis- I probably disagree. I think this is um their least of the matches they've had together, at least since like the destruction match they had a couple years ago. It's not to say that this wasn't good. This was still a very good match. Just Zack Saber Jr. and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Still very good professional wrestlers going out there, but. I don't know. I think there wasn't as much focus in this match. I think there wasn't as much um, emotion and meanness and nastiness that a lot of their matches have had. And it doesn't have the same pace or energy that their G1 match from this year had. So it's still a really good match, but I personally, I probably put it on the lower end of the matches they've had.
2: Yeah, I can I can see where you're coming from. I think I liked, I liked that it felt like they were wrestling on... It f- felt like it's the point is that they're on Zach's home turf, really, um, in a lot of ways. And there was some stuff about it that felt almost reminded me of like some of the Zach in Evolve matches at times, um, where it's just I don't even know how to explain it, but like almost an awkwardness and and so focused on being almost like an amateur style wrestling competition that like the normal tropes of ring positioning and just little stuff that you normally do kind of went out the window to be just like that we're focusing on this fight that kind of little stuff I, I liked it and like I said for the setting too it it helped to bring it out to just send it all the way home to you that like you're in England where it's Zach's home turf and and uh, and uh so Tanahashi is kind of getting into playing Zach's game a little bit more
1: mm. um Minoru suzuki versus kazuchika okada the whole idea of this being that Minoru suzuki is pissed off that he wasn't in the g1 and you know the, with this quality of match I, I gotta say that i'm glad that Minoru suzuki wasn't in the g1 uh this is really really great i wouldn't put it on the same level as their g1 2017 match which i had as like one of my top five matches of the year from that year so i don't think it's that level but it's really great a whole bunch of Nasty sounding strikes, very emotive from both guys. Um, Minura Suzuki is one of the best guys at getting um emotion from Okada. I really, I really like the selling from Okada in a lot of this. Okada always sells big for strikes, and with Minura Suzuki and how much he leads into them and hypes up the strikes, Okada did a great job selling them. Great match, I wouldn't put it on the same level as their best stuff, but a really great main event.
2: Yeah, it was really good. I think I saw some people with like match of the year conversation kind of stuff with it. And I think yeah. that that's out of, out of the question. Oh.
1: I, I, th- I thought that was really weird because I, I, I so like our, our, our friend Jamesy is one of the people that said like, oh man, that's one of the best Okada performances in ages. And I don't know. Like I understand getting swept up in the moment. But at the same time, like I don't know if I can sit here and be like, that Okada performance was better than Okada versus Osprey, or better than or better than Okada was versus Sonata in the G1, or better than Okada was in the Ishi match from New Japan Cup. You know what I mean? And I I'm not sure I can put it into that same level of Okada individual performances. For Minoru Suzuki, absolutely, it's his best individual performance of the year. He hasn't done anything this year, and I get being really excited that Minoru Suzuki got to do something, and he's still really good at like 51, 52 years old. But I don't know. I thought I thought it was strange to be like, oh man, Okada. Okada has this is the best he's been since like twenty eighteen.
2: Yeah, I I mean, sure, because like you said, he hasn't or Okada. Yeah, Suzuki. Sure, I could say best he's done since twenty eighteen because he hasn't done anything. But Okada, I don't get it. Okada's had a ton this year. That's really good. Um, it's like it's like I get it. Like
1: the Jay White match at Master Square Garden wasn't good. He's had to face Sonata two times, where it wasn't good and he had to face Chris Jericho at Dominion. I get it, but I thought Okada still clearly had performances this year that were better than the Monero Suzuki one, and that's not to say that it wasn't in the conversation. I just don't think it's better than all three of those performances I just mentioned.
2: Yeah, and I I, I really don't think it's in the conversation for a match of the year at all, honestly. Um, Good stuff, and I like both guys a lot, and I don't know what commentary you listened to, but you talked about Suzuki's strikes. I thought the English commentary... Did a great job of putting over Suzuki a lot here. Um, which they always do, but it really helped in this setting with Okada selling big for him and the way everything is done to, to put it over as well. Um, especially because, I mean, he's getting older. And that's it's one thing that does work. It still works. A guy like Suzuki can lose their fastball. And that's the whole fucking point of wrestling is that it's a work. And he's still got the aura. He's still got the history. still got the presence. He can make it look okay and then everyone puts it over and then you can believe for a second even though you' you know you know that he's older he's not quite at the speed he used to be he's not quite what he used to be physically but you can buy it at least for a few seconds and the commentary really helped to put it over Okada selling helped to put it over the setting everything worked really well and and I thought it was great and I think it was a good main event the crowd loved it and the way it was pulled off everything was fantastic. And you get to leave the crowd basically gets to go home happy, you know, with the with the winner, but it's a it's a heel that they're into again because of Suzuki spending time in the UK, so much time in the UK the past couple years. Um, so yeah, I mean it just it it made sense um, to uh to to set this up this way, even if there may have been some other stuff on the show that was better. Like even I I would say Tanahashi versus Sabre I liked more. So you know,
1: yeah, I can, I can see, it. like, I can see it. Like I said, for me, that was the least of Zach versus Sanahashi But if you're especially into that style, then like totally, I get it. Um, I don't know what you think of. It. I thought that I thought this was better than this um, than the strong style of all UK shows they put on last. Oh
2: yeah, week. for sure. I mean, yeah, it was definitely better than those. Um, it wasn't a great show, but you know, it was it was good, and it was what they were doing. It, it'll be interesting to see if they start bringing more and more kind of big-time stuff to draw. Because um, you think about it, Okada versus Suzuki, like I said, is big in the UK because they care about Suzuki, but it's not big overall. I think that that's not a huge match in New Japan, right? Um, but it's a huge match in the UK because they actually, they're invested in, in Suzuki. It's interesting to think how the Suzuki-Zak relationship works, because... It helps to add a credibility to the heel Zach, in New Japan, but it also kind of helped to make Suzuki, I think, a bigger star in the UK. Um,
1: no, ab- no, absolutely. It was like something that was very mutually beneficial. Yeah, it, I think people probably haven't given Zach enough credit for that, as to where Zach being part of Suzuki Goon really is what make it made it take off. Like obviously, people like Minoru Suzuki, and they like singing Kaze Ninare. But Zack and Sabre Jr. being right there it absolutely helped.
2: It. Yeah, and having those two kind of attached at the hip a lot last year, and especially on the UK shows, I think really helped to make it to where this match is a, was a big-time main event for a UK show. And probably did help to make... I think New Japan did a much better job feeling authentic in that their show is like authentically part of the UK scene, which I feel like is a good transition To another show that happened this weekend that doesn't feel like it's authentically part of the UK scene in NXT TakeOver Cardiff. Um, I don't know how much you really want to get into this, but what I'll say is my big overall thoughts really from the show is just that pretty much everything over-delivered for me because I expected almost nothing from a lot of it. And there was some stuff that I really expected it to be terrible, and it was fine. But I wouldn't say that anything was great, and I really do feel like this was... I said TakeOver Brooklyn in the Slack chat, but really, I mean, any of those TakeOvers from that time period where TakeOver transitioned from being always at, you know, just TakeOvers were at the same building as TV in Florida um, at the, you know, the NXT shows that happen at Full sale, to then, like, being in the big shows. Like, that time period of TakeOver, this really felt like it was just any of those TakeOvers from the U.S. TakeOver just stuck in the U.K., with the uk wrestlers but it's the same exact show you know what i mean like it's the same quality the matches are fine but i just don't see any connection there's nothing special that screams to me that this is nxt uk i don't feel authentically like part of the uk scene these all feel like these are just wwe guys developmental guys having like a show with some good matches i don't know if you want to get into anything what do you what do you think
1: Okay, so I'll I will be upfront. All I watched from this show was Bait versus Walter just because I saw so many people going crazy for this, which I will get into in a little bit. But I guess it kinda of, I guess it kind of fits together with my overall point of bait versus Walter and my NXT UK thoughts. Is that Bait versus Walter is like the perfect sum- summation of everything that NXT UK is, for better or for worse. It's Walter Bate is, has a lot of parts that there is and that there is to like. The work is great. Tyler Bate is phenomenal in it. It's two of the best wrestlers in the world. It has a hot crowd. Like On paper, this should be one of the best matches of the year. And to a lot of people, it is. But for me, where the match falters and where NXT UK as a whole falters is that they take these parts... And then they have to WWE it up for no reason. You have to WWE tr- and you have to WWE it up to death and fill it up with tropes and stories that are meaningless and unnecessary instead of just being like, well, okay, we got these guys and now we're just gonna give them the platform to go out there and have these good matches. They had to do this whole story of Tyler Bate fighting for the pride of NXT UK and a British strong style. Instead of the fact of, oh, Tyler Bate was the first NXT UK champion, and he wants a shot, and then just going out there, but you have to hear commentary constantly talk about how much he has to fight for the pride of the roster and of his BSS brethren, and it takes away from what should just be like this great, old-school-feeling, classic-building title match, but you have to do all this extra bullshit that takes away from what is going on in the ring, and I feel like that's NXT UK you take all these wrestlers from all over the scene, some of them better than others, but all of them were like varying levels of important to that, to the British, to the British wrestling and European scene as a whole. And you put them under one roof and you're like, okay, these are all really good wrestlers. If they just go out there and do stuff then you know, it, it can be good. They can do, they can do some cool stuff, but then you get angles like Travis banks being laid out backstage and Jordan Devlin having an open challenge that gets answered by somebody. And you just do a whole bunch of unnecessary shit. And I feel like NXT UK in Bait versus Walter really got defined by what it is and what holds it back in that main event. Because the main event should have been great. The main event had a lot of stuff that was great. But WWE has to do things their own way. And they can have all these wrestlers and all these fans that are naturally inclined to like this stuff because of the wrestlers that they're that they've taken these journeys with. And they have to do their do it their own way because it's WWE. And you have to remind you that even if we poach this entire scene, we have to make sure that you understand that this is a WWE product.
2: Yeah, I mean that's honestly that same kind of talking point can extend to the entire card. I would say The only match that I thought that I really liked and felt like it could have been on any, really almost any UK show from the golden era, I guess we'll say, of the UK scene that me and you both really enjoyed, Dar versus Banks was really good. Um, And it was just good on its own as like a match that could have happened. But it's also, I think part of that is because it's the opener and I think that they were allowed to kind of have a little bit more freedom because it was like have a hot, fast match to get the crowd pumped up. And it was, like, what they were – the leeway that they were given. And they were probably not messed with as much as they would have been in any other setting because you're expecting whatever. Cesaro versus Ilya really kicked ass. But it was, like, could have been a Cesaro, you know, again, you know, kind of unheralded great television match that was on, like, a a Raw or SmackDown that's, like, three weeks before a pay-per-view that no one's going to remember in two weeks or whatever. You know, like – so – it didn't necessarily feel like a UK scene like show match, so I can definitely see like the same thing. It's just like very different. The, the The tag team title match was a lot of fun, but just a big time waste and almost nothing that you could like really sink your teeth into. There was some cool stuff, but like nothing to really get into coffee versus mastiff the opening was actually pretty good and i was excited and then it just devolved into your typical wwe plunder match like instantly it went from like this is cool big hoss fight two badasses going at it and then like eventually they're hitting each other with pool cues you know what i mean it's just like it's a fuck it becomes a fucking joke like halfway through that's just like annoying they got you know cricket bats and pool cues and too many fucking, you know, table spots and just everything, you know, electrical boxes. I can't believe they didn't get to the point where someone got electrocuted. They were pretty close, you know, to that level of WWE trope. The women's match, I can't even really talk about, honestly. Um, I don't know, like, what it was. I, I've i heard, basically, I, I thought it was fine. I didn't really care, but I've heard, like, people have, like, visceral fucking hatred for the match, so I almost feel like I can't talk about it because I don't understand why someone would really hate it. So I think that maybe I just missed something. Um, And then the main event, like you talked about it. So much fucking trash, like good stuff. Tyler Bate, very interesting or not interesting, but Tyler Bate, very good, big, strong boy. But again, really shoehorning shit in the burning hammer. I thought was fucking atrocious and like, oh,
1: yes, (laughs) you reminded me this is like this is the prime example i mean of why couldn't they just have had a match why do you have to make it about all these other yes. outside forces why is he doing british strong style tribute spots trent seven and pete Dunne they weren't on the card but like it's not like these guys got like mangled and torn up or fucking died like he's doing that for his longtime friend trent Seven. Oh, shades of pete dunn who fucking cares yeah <laughs> like, there's no <laughs> like, impetus i don't understand yeah
2: what well- strangest shit what's the reason like yeah like give me some kind of reason some kind of impetus there's nothing walter hasn't it's not like walter even took them out you know what i mean
1: it's like it's like like, i get it the imperium and british strong style refuting cool but i don't think the severity of the beatdowns on tv really matched up what they were trying to play it up as on 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 commentary if anything, Tyler Bate got it worse than any of them did. Right. But they're sitting here talking talking about doing this in honor of everybody. Like, Tyler Bate's the last best standing, and everyone else just got their shit kicked in.
2: That's not, that's not what happened. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> completely. And, and it felt so forced. And I didn't even think of the Burning Hammer as a Trent Seven tribute spot. All I thought of is that it looked like shit. And I'm just like, why the fuck is he doing this? It looks really bad with him, with the size differential and just the way that it's, like... It's just it looks fucking like a joke. It looks like the antithesis of what Walter wrestling is supposed to be about. That everything looks real. Like the mat is sacred, and this—I mean—this felt like sacrilege. Honestly, like there was just a lot of that kind of bullshit. Walter. I mean, you know, Brock has been talking about Walter mugging. I didn't notice as much mugging here, I guess, but but oh my there was God. definitely he was
1: so fucking bad down the stretch. Yeah, when Tyler Bate does the one does the um. One count spot, Walter. <laughs> you have to like you have to go back and see it, and like everyone makes those faces. It's not like I'm pointing it out to make fun of like solely Walter. Like everyone in wrestling does this, but it was just so funny just wa- watching Walter do this because we know Walter. We've seen Walter for years in to, uh, to see even Walter succumb to that. It's just like, God damn, dude! It's
2: fucking crazy because of the whole idea that like. He he held them up for the you know the special contract that only he could get where he can still do whatever he wants with WXW and he doesn't have to work in America and all this stuff and then he still completely just goes along with their fucking bullshit and gives them what they want the guy who I don't want to work PWG because it's just you know great match factory or whatever like this fucking bullshit and then he turns around and this is what this is what he turns into it's it's sad man because. I don't want, you know, now we got David Starr and the We The Indie stuff and I don't even want to get super deep into it and all that. But Walter felt like (laughs) you can at least have some idea of like a a respectable semblance of a guy who was going to actually stand up for wrestling for wrestling's sake, you know, outside of Japan, basically. Have somebody who's really about it and stays pure and true to that concept. And, And I'm not saying that he's like, you know, the worst or always oh, so terrible, but it's like stuff like that. It's just like, God damn. It feels like just a couple of years ago that Walter would fucking probably slap himself in the face for doing some of this shit that he's doing now. And it's just, yeah.
1: So let's talk, let's talk about, uh, people calling this a top five WWE match ever.
2: It, no, it really is. I mean, it's probably, I would, I don't even know if I would say that that was a top five Tyler bait in WWE match. honestly, I think Tyler Bate has had five. I think, bit. I, I, yeah, I, I think all I think all three of the Pete Dunne matches are better. Yes, plus the, the the match where he tagged with Pete Dunne, I think is probably better. You know, like
1: I think the what and the, then the well uh, all the undisputed yes, era tags probably Tyler
2: Bate versus undisputed Era, or British British Mustache Mountain versus yeah. So or no, it was was it yeah? It was Bate and Andrews versus I can't remember what that no, match was. Yeah, Bane seven. It was Bate yeah, Bane 7. It was Bane seven. Yeah, 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 like that. That match, like, there's so many fucking, so many better matches that even Tyler so, Bate so had. here's
1: the thing, like, I don't get, so I, I'm really sitting here trying to theorize, like, why people are so blown away by this match. And like I said, I'm not saying it was bad. There was a lot of stuff in it. Tyler Bate was incredible in it. I hadn't seen Tyler Bate all year, I think. Right. So, coming in and seeing him, it was like, man, like, get mind, like, this dude could have, like, could have been one of the best, could have been the best wrestler in the world. And like people who always say, like, "Oh, he's 22, he's 22," like, you know, there's 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 always gonna be time. And with Kylie Ray seemingly being gone from wrestling, and Casey Cadenzaro leaving wrestling, the reality starts to set in of like, well, no, maybe you don't always have that time. Right. And not even like people being gone from injury. Like sometimes people never get that chance to really ascend or go up the card and live up to their potential. And I think now, sitting in for me, like shit, man. We really might never like be able to call Tyler Bate one of the all time best, and it sucks because it's all right there. And seeing him be so good in that match really reminded me of what could have been or what can be. But so I was theorizing, and this is what like the third forty minute match or whatever to happen in WWE this
2: year. Is it? That's probably true. I think.
1: I think the. I think Cole versus Gargano, two went like 40 minutes, and then their second match went like 51.
2: Okay. Oh, I guess NXT, because I was going to say WWE's been doing those gauntlet matches that are technically super long.
1: Okay, sure, sure, sure. But We're yeah, talking I mean, about, like, singles yeah, yeah. matches. All right. So, I'm sitting here theorizing, and I see and I saw this from people, too, that I would think i have, like, seen a lot of wrestling. So, my theory was, is it people that haven't seen long matches before saying this? I mean... And that, like su- and that sounds like super. And that sounds like super gatekeeper esque. Like that's a genuine question because I don't know how you sit there and watch that and you're like, oh yeah, from top to bottom, that's one of the best forty minute matches I've ever seen. And if so, if you're gonna sit here and say that for, like from beginning to end it was it was engaging and enthralling, then I'm gonna need a lot of apologies to Kazuchika Okada <laughs> for his for his opening fifteen minutes. If that's the shit we're gonna be pulling now, right?
2: Well, I mean, I think that there's. I think stuff ebbs and flows, and I think that that uh, you know people people kind of change what they're into. You know, in general, the zeitgeist of what's like kind of the popular stuff changes a lot. And it was like a little while ago, it felt like sprints were the thing—like quick, fast-paced matches, hoot of the year type stuff from a uh, you know the the Tanner Awards, um, stuff like that was like really in vogue and then now i think maybe people are switching the other way longer matches are in vogue but i think that like what's kind of the the popular thing kind of does change that way with people's taste but it is interesting to see that you know nxt is driving kind of that opinion it seems people are
1: well well clearly it's well clearly it's not but i think i think it's funny that a lot of the same people and i'm not gonna just like like everybody i'm not gonna generalize and say that anyone that's praising this as being this all-time great WWE match also hates New Japan. And I'm not saying that. I know a lot of people that like this match really like New Japan too. But I do think it's telling a lot of the people that I saw that praised this match also will talk about New Japan and how they're not into the main event style there. Right. And that like that's all, that's all I can say. I'm not going to sit here and act like anyone's a hypocrite. But I do think that if you're going to sit here and talk about Okada's opening 15 minutes that I don't think you can with a straight face, tell me that Walter's control segment was all, was all that impressive or all that engaging.
2: Right. Um, no, that's, that's a really good point. And I will say, I mean, you're being pretty diplomatic and pretty nice here, but I will say that if you think that this is an all time, great WWE match of all time, and you are someone who probably should know better. Cause I know that you've seen like, uh, you know, the, um, the slaughter, uh, Briscoe alley fight or not Briscoe, what am I thinking? Uh, Patterson Patterson. alley fight. And, you know, you've seen all of this stuff that should be in your conversation for WWE matches. Um, Then I just think maybe, like, you're either standing really hard for the hometown boy or you're just... Maybe some people are just washed. Their opinions are just bad. And they just have to accept that they're... (laughs) <laughs> they, they are just not good at doing as, opinions anymore. As you get
1: older, your as you as you get older, your opinions just get yeah. Worse. There's like a
2: certain point where you just have to give up on having takes. Maybe you know settle in and just log <laughs> off. Just
1: revoke your card. To, just revoke your card. The tweet yeah. and have opinions. Yeah. Just like no, give it here, buddy. Yeah, exactly. No more. No more from you. Because I mean,
2: I'm sorry, but there's fucking context. And like top five WWE match of all time is a fucking wild take. You know, it just it really is.
1: Would it be a, like like? top five would it even be top five Like this year nxt matches no nxt matches
2: no of course not we listed bait matches that were better and they were all in nxt like what the fuck no it, it doesn't even
1: go into like the, the like the Sami Zayn era yes. or the sasha or the sasha banks and bailey stuff yeah
2: no it's a fucking great and then that's the other part of it too if you're gonna like take that tact and then apply that it's a top 5 WWE of all time and then but then you're counting this because it's NXT UK then yes like that counts all NXT right it's just like so yes there's tons of great matches in NXT plus people forget that WWE used to have good matches on the regular shows too like you know like there was good matches in WWE historically just because most of the stuff is bad now doesn't mean it's always been like that so yeah it's 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 just a fucking crazy take i don't know i, I I don't know. Uh, top five matches in the history of AEW. What do you think? Um, <laughs> probably, num-
1: probably number probably number two, two. Probably behind probably probably behind Kenny Omega versus Pac. Fair, Back. fair.
2: <laughs> All right. Do you want to talk about AEW? You want to keep going about uh, NXT UK?
1: Oh yeah, we can do that. That's the last thing we had to talk about, and I I, I did watch this show in full, yes. so I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure we're gonna do like super in depth here, nah. but. Yeah, it's like I say, it's AEW. There's not, there's not, there's not a lot to talk about yet. No, so. I mean there's,
2: I mean there's some good stuff on this show though.
1: Overall, I know there is. Like but, the show, but I, I liked it a lot. I liked it. Man, let, me, let me, let me change that. I liked the first half a lot. Yeah, first half is really fun. Um, after that, for the most part, didn't really like it. But we can get into that now. Um, so I don't know what the name is anymore. It's either Jurassic Express. Or it's a small boy, a boy and a dinosaur.
2: Yeah, bite size. Fun size. I don't know what it. Yeah, yeah, I think.
1: It's, so it's, it's that group, and then versus SCU. But I, yeah, <laughs> what, do you, what, do you, what do we call them Uh
2: now? I don't know, and I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like this one bit. A boy and a dinosaur wasn't the best, but I was fine with it. But I like the boy. And his yeah, but, dinosaur, but then throwing like in that. stunt also and making that that part of it. But did you no know buy-in? You didn't watch the buy-in. No. Nah. Okay, I'll just say.
1: I know, I know, I know. Nyla Rose won the battle. Yeah. Royal. I'll
2: just say I liked the battle royal. I thought that they did a really good job. I was concerned if people listened to the preview uh, last week. I was concerned with the kind of talent that was going to be in it because of the fact that they were limited. You know, AEW was limited in what women they had signed. I thought they did a really good job of bringing in uh, outside names that people would be excited for, and I thought that they did a really good job of having people in that i was excited for so they did a really good job of really hitting both someone that you know casual fans who maybe just know about aew were going to be excited for but then also someone like me who's kind of hardcore there were still people that i was like oh shit they got her in here you know what i mean when i started seeing um like of course nicole savoy but you know the joker being mercedes martinez was fucking awesome i was so excited for that um, Jazz was great. ODB showing up I thought was cool, even if she's not great. you know. So they they did a really good job with all of that. I thought that they did a really good job trying to keep the storylines. I honestly think that this Casino Royale, Battle Royale was better than the, the the one with the men. And I, I thought they did a great job uh, putting everything together here. Um, they really kind of plumbed the depths of the, the TNA knockouts division, which I think actually worked because that was one thing I was concerned with. There's going to be a lot of people who weren't familiar with each other. So having a lot of women who probably were familiar with each other from having wrestled in in TNA and then some Shimmer crossover stuff as well in the past helped with a lot of people who probably were familiar with each other in that way um, Sadie Gibbs looks awesome I'm really still excited for her to get a chance to break out here because I think that she's got something I think that she's got a great look she's really athletic, pulls off some cool ass spots and I think that she could have she could be a breakout star for them in the women's division if they, they work with it right um after that private party versus um versus uh Angelico and Jack Evans a lot of fun yeah i heard
1: really good things about yeah, that
2: Mark man. Quinn is obviously the fucking the, the dude from the private party team and i think that he could break out big time too but i think private party as an act could also be could be something important for the company so they need to work with them That's
1: um that's a that's a, like a interesting thing about AEW in general that um I like. I want. To, I want to touch on maybe. Maybe not. Maybe not this week because I, I, I. don't have as much time, but between private party, and then um, the a boy in his dinosaur plus Marco stunt, there's a. There's a, a couple of acts here where, when you first start AEW, you're thinking that oh this person and this person they're gonna be really big stars, and then everything gets completely flipped on his head no
2: there's they're really having they're already starting to have breakout stars it's really cool to see that the crowd is the crowd is into the guys that you expect them to be into but they're also choosing their favorites and it seems like AEW is is willing to go with it which is nice but you have people that you know are slated i mean i think that everything evolves everything elite guys were talking about you know uh private party and they were kind of referencing that like private party are kind of like the young the new young bucks like they're doing what young bucks were doing like five six years ago with all the cool spots and the and the crazy stuff and the interesting you know nutty stuff that the crowd can get into and it's kind of true so it'll be nice to have the actual young bucks there being kind of mentors for them and help develop them hopefully into the kind of act that the young bucks have become and then hopefully they can do something with that and then you talk about Jungle Boy I mean I don't know if you've seen Jungle Boy live but they were talking about that too that like when you see him live, you realize how much of a star he really can be, because he has the really good movie star good looks that he gets from his dad. He's a great seller. He's super athletic, and he's not—he's small, he's slim, but he's not tiny. And he could develop into something. And I think that like these guys can become something. Luchasaurus is another one. Luchasaurus, I think, is already a star. And in this match, in the you know the opening match of the show with the the boy and his dinosaur plus the you know the Mister Fun Size. Um against SoCal uncensored. Luchasaurus' spot was the best fucking thing in the whole match. Like, he stood yeah, out huge. Uh, totally. And the stuff that he did was fucking amazing. Like I It's like it's hard to believe that this guy's Judas right. Devlin.
1: And even I forgot what I forgot what his name was before, like something Raven. Like it's hard to believe that this is the same right. guy.
2: Yeah, I mean he's just everything looks great. He's insanely credible. You just buy into what he can do. Plus he just He big power spots, crazy flips looks like a fucking million bucks. Like it's, it's nuts. And yeah, it's, it's so funny because he was some OVW washout, you know? He-
1: and, I, and like, and he's doing this with a, with a, <laughs> with, a with a goofy, silly ass gimmick. too. Right. Like, so like so whenever I say like El Generico is the best baby face ever, I always say that I give him more points because he did it with such a goofy ass gimmick. I feel like that is something that people should take in consideration. Like Ricky Steamboat, like all time. Great. Probably number two, but Ricky Steamboat wasn't handicapped with <laughs> being like a white, a white lucha, a white luchador from Canada, from Canada. I mean, he's from Tijuana. Like, in the fact that he, like he made that work, you know, I think gives him more points. And I think Luchasaurus definitely deserves some more points here too for being, Literally named Luchasaurus in like crowds of a couple hundred, a couple ten thousand people, are in there going crazy for him.
2: right. And one thing I saw that I thought was pretty interesting because Bar Wrestling is having uh, kind of farewell show, Fel, ah, farewell shows for a lot of the guys who are getting signed to AEW, and one of those guys is Luchasaurus. And they mentioned Luchasaurus is the person who's been in the most on the most Bar Wrestling shows, and it's funny because. I was thinking about it and Luchasaurus is probably the most authentically became a star from bar wrestling. (laughs) Like that's where he started. And that was where people started to notice him and talk about him. He got more bookings coming out of that. And it's really weird to think about that, that like this guy, he started in Joey Ryan's fucking comedy jerk off fed. And he, now he could be one of the top guys in the second biggest company in America relatively soon.
1: it's is like one of the biggest like testaments to the company is that out the gate they like you know, they've struck gold with, with with a couple of acts and then as we get down the card we'll talk about one where I really I, I, I really came into the to AEW already liking this company already liking this um tag team and then it felt like they got the AEW and AEW kind of miscalculated and fucked it up but we'll get but we'll get okay. to that um in a little bit but uh it's so a really fun opener between those two teams. And then Kenny Omega versus Pac really early in the show, which I didn't expect. And I got to say, I didn't I didn't hear. I didn't, wasn't, wasn't on Twitter during All Out. I was at work and everything. And when I get around to watching this, I'm like, holy shit, how did I not hear anything about this match? Because I don't know if I'm alone in this. I know a lot of people really like, really like the KZ match from February from Pac. But I thought Omega versus Pac was really, really phenomenal. Had one really bad-looking spot. They fucked up the Poison Rana. But even in the context of the match, I thought they were selling fatigue so much that I could excuse the spot looking that way because they both looked tired as shit. It, but I thought this was probably the best Pack match I've seen this year and the second best Kenny Omega match I've seen this year. I really loved it.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. And I would say, yeah, easily the best pack match that I've seen this year. And I actually really liked the Sabre match, even with the finish. I think that other people disliked it. Yeah, that was really yeah, good Yeah, but too. I loved that match. He's had a,
1: he's had a really good yeah, year.
2: Yeah, I thought that he's had a lot of great matches. I thought the Ben K match was a good performance for him if I didn't love the match. Um
1: if Ben K was a better wrestler. Yeah, ben K,
2: <laughs> We've been saying that for a while, I think Um if only Ben K was shooting Skywalker is what I say Um <laughs> either way. But like this match was beautiful and this match is exactly what I fucking have been saying since PAC came back from WWE. Everyone is so, Oh, he's not that good. Oh, he's washed. Oh, his matches are boring. Oh, I said, he, he's saving no, he's, it.
1: He's he, Yeah. He was clearly chilling out. Mm-hmm. He's clearly been like, you know what? I can get by, Doing all this other stuff and it's gonna work.
2: And he made it work, he knew, especially in he, he, he know He
1: knows. He knows. He knows when to turn it on.
2: Yeah,
1: I think even. I think even watching his stuff from his um Return to Now, you could see that he still had it in him. He picked and chose. Picked and chose when to do certain spots. He wasn't doing all his cool shit in every single match, but you would still see it in flashes. He's facing Kenny Omega in his first U.S. match. Of this entire run, in front of twenty thousand people, you thought that Pack wasn't going to show yep. up,
2: <laughs> and he did, and he fucking brought it, and he went all out here, and exactly what you're saying. I mean, this was amazing. There was one, maybe one blown spot, and it's the spot that gets blown a lot. Poison Ranas always get fucking blown. That's like the thing. Yep. But you know, whatever you expect, you expect perfection from these guys. You really do. Is it
1: like I said? Like they both we're already selling in a way where they were really driving home the fatigue factor of the match. So when they do it, it's like, it comes across like, Oh wow. Those guys are both really drained and tired. And the commentary does that to cover that, cover that, cover up the spot too. But it really does work as a good cover.
2: Yeah. And this was, I mean, this felt like probably should have been the main event. It really felt like a main event. Um, And these guys, I mean, they did it in a way that really felt like it was all about a matter of pride between two of the best. Um, I thought that the teasing of the dive, I really, when Omega was teasing the the big dive throughout, I was kind of like, I wish he wasn't like building to this so much because I was, I don't know why, but something in my head was just like, Kenny can't really do cool dives compared to someone like Pac, you know, like, He's not going to be... He shouldn't be building to a dive because it's not going to look as cool as anything Pac's going to do. But then when he finally hit the big flip dive, I was like, oh, yeah, Kenny's dive looks awesome. It always looks fucking so great. And it did. So it's just like even stupid stuff like that that's like just fireworks, but like the way that they built to it, like having that extra layer where it's like I'm kind of happy that these guys haven't ever really wrestled before because I feel like a few years ago they would have had a good match and it would have been fun. But they've both grown so much as workers that, like, this setting, even with me being kind of. I was trepidatious on the preview show talking about the heel face dynamic being a little messed up with the way that Kenny's character was leaning. But I thought they played. They actually played that into the match really well. And I thought that Pac wasn't even as clearly heel as he has been in this run. And that helped so that he could mix in a little bit more high flying. And it made sense. Yeah,
1: because he wasn't like. But he wasn't doing his full heel shtick. He let him have some room to breathe and do some of those some of his cool yeah, stuff. Yeah, so
2: it really made it all make sense. If he was able to kind of go out of the, outside of the heel character and do a little bit more flashy, high flying stuff, Kenny was able to still play a little subtle kind of not heel, but he's definitely not a hundred percent babyface. So it really it really worked. It it was a great like. It was just a matter of respect kind of match. Not even a matter of respect, but like a, a point of pride kind of match. It was about proving who's really the best. And, I mean, that's just to talk about, again, the narratives of the match, the psychology, the structure. Then you, then the, the actual work, the spots, other than, you know, again, that one fucked up spot. I mean, the crispness of some of the V-triggers were so nasty. And it reminded me of thinking about Pete when I used to do This Week in Wrestling, how much the V-trigger would piss him off because of how good it looked and it's just again repeatedly throughout this match i'm like these yeah. v triggers look so goddamn good that like it does i do get it i get being upset because it's like that should look like it kills somebody but you have to just accept the real the real the, you know the reality of that kenny omega's v trigger looks really good but it's not a match ending strike you know that's just that's 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 everything about kenny yeah exactly
1: kenny kenny really should be in the conversation as like the best like what the best offensive wrestlers ever the people talk about kabashi having the best offense ever and i don't know like kenny has like so has such impactful stuff that everything he does feels like it could be be a finish and kobashi had various times to use like different stuff as finishes and he has such a great like great and deep arsenal but kenny omega it's like everything he does feels that way
2: yeah yeah, exactly. He he really. I mean, for a guy who doesn't understand how to do the basics, he can really make the big time stuff look great. Um,
1: it's weird how he just like you know he does a knee and it just looks so much better than everyone else's. Yeah. Like I wonder yeah, why. I, know. I
2: mean you know obviously, um, but yeah. I mean, two of the best really going right now. Two guys who are really in that sweet spot where it comes to physical prime plus psychology. You know, um, so it did not disappoint and realistically i mean i don't think there's any argument for best match on the on the show feels like the two
1: some people some people would have said uh bucks and lucha bro's ladder match but we'll get to that i don't even have strong thoughts on that like we'll we'll get get to that when we get there but one match that was Um,
2: definitely not the best match on the show uh cracker barrel clash three-way match. Oh, you didn't, you didn't like I this? I didn't li- dislike it, but I, it, there's no question to me in my mind that it's the best match on the show. Oh, Yeah, okay, yeah I right. still liked it. I actually I actually liked this a lot, and I thought that they...
1: I was about to, was about to no, say. No, 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 I thought that they did a great <laughs> job. I,
2: I don't you understand got, going with Jimmy Havoc as the winner, but I did enjoy the match.
1: Yeah, that was really weird. I thought I thought that was very telling of how much they like Jimmy Havoc.
2: Or just the fact that um, they know that a lot of people aren't into him, so they got to put some heat into him. If they're going to sign him, you know, you might as well do something yeah. with
1: him. Um, yeah, like, this is really fun, outlandish, a lot of crazy, wild spots. Some stuff that you could be taking as comedy, but it's a match where there's a barrel outside and there's a tray of biscuits and all that. Like, it was not meant to be taken seriously. It just meant to be an insane, wild match, and I thought this was exactly that. The step-up. Power bomb through the table to the outside that Joey gave the Darby looked really fucking crazy and like legitimately dangerous and I just loved how frantic and high paced the action was. Not to say it was just a really fun dumb match.
2: Yeah, definitely, definitely a really fun plunder match. And again, like you know, comparing it to like the Last Man Standing match on NXT UK, this did not feel like token run-of-the-mill wwe plunder match right this felt like authentically just guys going at it everything made sense there wasn't a lot of goofiness the barrels were like added gimmicks that aren't necessarily always in the context of a wrestling match but it worked havoc doing the finger cut finger kind of paper cut spots i can do without in general but whatever it's his thing um the uh the this oh this is the question this was the only debate that i had during the match with alicia um were were those biscuits or cornbread i'm pretty sure those were biscuits okay that's what i thought but she was thinking maybe it was cornbread have you ever been to a cracker barrel cuz i've never been to a cracker barrel no i have okay. not so anyone who's ever been to a cracker barrel you can let us know if for sure i'm pretty sure like they were like they look like biscuits was, to me for sure they
1: were yeah, round i'm pretty sure those were biscuits pretty sure those are biscuits sure <laughs> The uh the and the, the way they rose up, like yeah, those are for sure yeah, biscuits. That's what I
2: thought. But you know, there was there was a little bit of a debate. There was a question. Maybe it was cornbread. A little contention maybe, there. maybe it was cornbread. I'm not sure. I don't think so. I think it was biscuits. Canadian destroyer over the top rope through the table. That was insane. Um Coffin Drop, obviously, with the barrel, that's the spot that everyone's talking about. Uh yeah, yeah this was this was really good for what it was. And probably in the perfect spot on the card if you're going to do The WWE school of thought for sequencing your match, where you don't or your show, where you don't necessarily just have the matches build and build and build. This was perfect after that match before to kind of cool down with something completely different. You know.
1: Okay, let's let's move on to what I. uh,
2: Do we have to?
1: Dark Order. I I I have to say, Dark Order versus Best Friends. I love Super Smash Brothers. I love, like, I love, I love Uno. I I love, I love Dose. But, I think the problem here is that, that the Bucks really like these guys and they think highly of them. But we have to remember that for the most part, these guys have been out of the public eye for a long time now. This isn't 2013 and PWG anymore. And, the reality is, I think a lot of the fan base that AEW has is people that haven't seen PWG that early, or they did were watching PWG. It's only the trendy stuff, like Adam Cole, the Bucks, Kevin Steen, and you know stuff like that. They haven't seen a lot of that era of PWG, and I think the Bucks thinking so highly of the Smash Bros are bringing them in. And doing something substantial with them because no company has ever done anything substantial with the Smash Bros. And they give them this Dark Order gimmick. They've like the they've been they've been working heel for a while in Canada, but I think now with the like money and budget behind it, they're really going for, like for, um, hard on this thing. And I think it just doesn't work for a comb- for a number of reasons that the gimmick sucks and it's unexplained. They have no reason to care or be interested or even be like boo or anything like that. They have no reason to be invested in what's going on at all. And two, they don't know who the Smash Brothers are. And I think when you combine those things, you have this you have the Dark Order where you trot them out there and you have them win these matches convincingly, but no one gives a shit. And it's a shame because I really like the Smash Brothers they're really talented guys and I've always thought that they deserve better and that they should be in the conversation of best tag teams in the world because when they were in there with the best tag teams in the world, they fit in just fine. But right now in this current form, they desperately, desperately need to go back to the drawing board with this. They, they, this is a miscalculation.
2: Yeah, I don't, it's just not, I don't know what it is. It's just not a cohesive gimmick it's not maybe it could make sense on tv and maybe that's like an issue is that they debuted them too soon and when they had weekly television they could have like explained and told the story a little bit better well
1: not even that right not even that right look how well they've been promoting and building other people without the tv like look how well they've been doing that stuff for jungle boy and luchasaurus and marco stunt and even darby and janella without without the tv why is the Dark Order getting such a strong push, and there's been really no attempt in order like to get them over to the degree of which they're being pushed and presented?
2: Yeah, and I and I did mention it when I was on with Sam that I do worry, similar to you, that it's the Young Bucks believe in them and think that like, well, even though this isn't working, once we just get to our match and they just have the Dark Order versus the Young Bucks, then we'll get over. And the Dark Order can't the Dark Order
1: can't win the tag team tournament. They can't win
2: it. I hope that they don't. Now,
1: that would be. That'd be a monumentally bad mistake. Like you would fuck them up for the rest of their AEW ten tenure, I think they cannot win that tournament. It'd be interesting to s- now, see. With-
2: I mean, they've they showed the right decision making with the world championship when it came to a very similar situation.
1: I'm thinking that. So with la with lax coming in, Ugh. I think, I think now, like look, like regardless of how I feel about lax, now that they're coming in. I think that does lessen the chances of Dark Order winning the tag, tag, tag tournament. But, even if even if LAX wasn't to win it, it should be Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. Whatever it takes, the Dark Order should not be winning that match. The best scenario here is you get like a J. White Koda Ibushi feeling where everyone is so deeply behind Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. And no one wants to see the Dark Order win. And when Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus win, the entire place goes goes crazy. That's the best scenario here. But yeah, as much as I love the Smash Bros, they they, they cannot win this thing, and they need this. Everything here needs to get retold and refigured. Yeah,
2: and I again, I I don't know. Maybe again, maybe it would have worked on TV. I I think it's possible. I think that introducing them more slowly. And building up so people understood and get what's going on could have could maybe have helped, and just having the way that they showed up and what they're doing didn't didn't work, you know. But it didn't. So you have to just accept it, and we have to see what's going to happen. Again, it comes back to a lot of the stuff we've been talking about: who's in charge of what, who's making decisions where, and stuff like that. Where you
1: and how, and, and and how and how stubborn right. are they? Like this is this is really going to be one of those cases where. We see how stubborn the guys in charge of A.W. were going to be. If this was a Young Bucks hire and the Young Bucks were really, really adamant about getting these guys in the company, we need to see if they're willing to change course and realize that what they've been presenting has not been working. And it's not a, well, we're not going to use you guys anymore, but more of a we're going to figure out how to make this thing work because we do believe in you but what's going on right now just isn't it, right
2: and and just to make it i have to continue to reference other pod, stuff i've heard on other podcasts but uh now that they introduce orange cassidy to help help out uh the best friends here what if they change the course and we go into a feud and it's the dark order versus the best friends in orange cassidy and the dark order bring in their tag team partner bucks belmar Oh, and so that's how we bring in Bucks Belmar think, to be, to counter Orange Cassidy.
1: I think, I think we might've just figured out how to, how this to is how it, you right?
2: save the damn thing. I think Bucks Belmar. So I, I was, I was, <laughs> see, you,
1: you fooled me. I got, I think you obviously like went with, uh, I guess like the more con, like the more connected yes. to the smash, to the smash bros. But I was sitting there thinking that you were going to say, all right, this is how we get speedball back. Oh. In the United States. Oh, I would
2: fucking kill. I would, I wish man, but that's not going to happen. I, I hope AEW does try to get him into America at some point soon.
1: I can't, I can't imagine I can't imagine they don't. Right, that'd be really. The cons weird. Like, donated plenty of money who, like, to
2: like, Trump, right? Like like they like they know who
1: <laughs> they know who Speedball right. is. Like I'd, I'd be shocked that they didn't if they didn't try to sponsor Speedball and get him and get him back over. But um, yeah, we, we can move on from that. It's just like really disappointing. Right, I don't have a lot of thoughts on um. On Riho versus Hikaru Shida. Speaking of Chita. disappointing.
2: Um, no, I mean, this was, it wasn't terrible, but Riho. It was fine. Riho needs something. I, I just, I mean, I like her.
1: Uh, Rio, Go ahead. The problem is I like Riho a lot, but I also think, oh no, maybe maybe this is just me projecting, but I feel like if Kylie Ray mm. didn't have whatever she had going on, that we would have been doing Kylie Rose, I mean, Kylie Ray versus Nyla Rose for the women's, for the women's title. And it feels like this is a changing, changing, changing of course. I can't confirm whether or not that's true, but that's what it feels like. And with with that, like Rio is probably like the next best candidate to be in a match with Nyla Rose other than Kylie. But yeah, I think, I think Rio just is going to take more time for the audience to, uh, get into her and get used to her because i do think there's potential there she's really young she's really fun but i think the audience is going to take some it's going to need some more time and really losing kylie is a big blow for the women's division and how the women's division is going to try to establish
2: itself right but, i mean so yeah both these girls i hate to say this you know especially because it's a women's match pointed out but it's really the only match that had this issue other than i i will say the Dark Order, not both members of the Dark Order, but especially Stu Grayson. His shit looks bad. His gear looks terrible. He needs—I don't know—he needs to polish like his whole look overall. He looks like he looks like late-era
1: TNA Petey Williams. Yes,
2: <laughs> but but both of these girls had issues with their gear. But to me, especially Riho, just looks she looks minor league, and you're building to her in the big match for the you know for the title and she just her gear doesn't fit her right and you know unfortunately she is a very small girl so it's going to be tough to find stuff that does fit right but it just her her gear doesn't fit right it doesn't look great and so then it really throws off parts of the match but then also like her selling her personality doesn't come through super bright in this match i thought that everything from Sheeta looked pretty good looked solid and she played her role really well but i just think that that part of it too is that i think the crowd is not familiar with Riho, so her spots aren't going to get the same pops that you would expect because people don't don't know what they're expecting they don't know what stuff means um but yeah and i also think that the camera work overall for the entire show the camera work was not great but i think especially on this show the camera work was not very good and you didn't get a lot of the shots that you needed to Um, in this match to help kind of get over Riho, I think you, I wanted to, you know, you should show some of that pain's expression on her face because you can see it from far away that she's clearly facial selling big, but I don't think we ever once got like a a signature close-up facial shot to really put over the excruciating pain and the agony and the fight from underneath that she was doing. I mean, she really just yeah, like with the messed up gear, with never really getting any tight shots or or anything that really, you know, we talk about Walter mugging to the camera, but you know, it, it doesn't always have to be bad. Sometimes it can be good to have that stuff because we didn't really get any of that. And then because again, her gear is like weird and covering her body in weird ways and just not fitting. Right. it she just looks like this, like kind of weird shapes and colors, moving around the ring, doing spots and nothing like that really connected to me on an emotional level. So that was like a big part of it. And then you're building up to her to be the plucky underdog to, You know, go up against the monster for the championship, and I just didn't. I didn't buy into her, and I didn't get a chance to. And like I said, it's a concern
1: too. It's a concern too when like Nyla Rose isn't very good yet. Nyla Rose is still very new, very new to wrestling, and I feel like Kylie would have been able to lead lead her to something a little bit more substantial. I don't. I don't think Kylie versus Nyla would have ever been great but i do think they would have had something that would have been a little bit more effective because i cuz kylie is such a good seller i don't think rio is i don't think rio is nearly, nearly as close as a, as good of a seller as kylie is It's sort of like the same bubbly personality and energy but when it comes down to it and the match is going on and nyla is in control i don't have the same faith in rio as a underdog baby face that i haven't that i had in kylie and that's really going to affect the match whenever that winds up happening and I hope I'm wrong I hope the crowd is just into it because it's the first women's title match and all that but it's definitely an eyebrow well
2: and part of that too and you mentioned it there and it's something to not overlook is that Kylie has a lot better fundamentals ground game technical wrestling stuff so yeah so she could carry someone like Nyla Rose in in a match in that way so that you can do kind of a little bit more basic stuff That Nyla won't be able to mess up really, um, and you can make it look good. Whereas Riho, a lot of her stuff is really intricate. We're even working with Sheeta, who they don't have a lot of experience with each other in singles matches at least. Um, Even Sheeta had some stuff with, with Riho that Riho was doing here that looked a little awkward because she wasn't basing for her properly, because she just wasn't familiar with what was going on. And so Nyla, while being bigger and probably a, should theoretically be a better base, she may be, because she's green and a little bit shaky, not be able to pull off a lot of those intricate spots with Riho. So, again, like a Kylie Ray nyla match feels a little bit like you can kind of idiot-proof it a little bit more because Kylie can carry a extended mat work segment and make it look good, whereas you're not going to get that with Riho. Um, on top of that, too, talking about the gear, Kylie's gear looked pretty indie and kind of cheap too but not in the same way you know so I think that she could look she looked better on a bigger stage so I just I really miss really miss Kylie already and you know obviously me and you are both um, important investigative journalists so we're going to not uh, talk about what uh, what may be happening with Kylie um, uh, because that's private and private personal matters should not be spoken in a public forum um, the next match uh Sean Spears. Oh, What's fuck, up? Oh,
1: fuck this match. I'm, oh, fuck you didn't this like match. it? Hell no. Hell
2: no. Fuck you didn't like match. it? Really?
1: No. 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 Oh, no. come on. Wow. No, no, no. No, 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 no. no, no. Uh, Alright, what did you not... I hate Cody Rhodes. Okay. I hate Cody Rhodes. Like, I... I really, really hate Cody Rhodes. And I don't think it set in for me how much I hate him until I saw his entrance. And I realized... How much of just a masturbatory dickhead he is, and he's always been that the entire run. I think he's it's like that's very much what it's been, but I don't know. Something about that just like really rubbed me the wrong way. Like he's been doing it, but something about that particular time really bugged me. I can't, I don't buy into Sean Spears, man. I don't buy into it. I don't, buy I didn't buy into the Tully partnership. Um. Look, it was cool to see Arn Anderson come in and do a spine buster. Fine. But I just didn't I just didn't buy any of this. And I liked the promos I liked the promos. I liked the I liked all of that, but when it came down to actually seeing that in the ring and buying into what these guys were going to offer in terms of telling a story and a narrative, I, I just couldn't get into it.
2: Okay. Well, I think you're completely wrong. Uh, I think this is the best match of the year. Uh, Top five WWE match of all time. No, I mean, the thing about this match is that it was all hoopla. And I'm hearing people who are really into it and really enjoying it. And I get it from people. And it's weird to hear people framing it like, oh, this is like old school Southern wrestling. And that's why I like it. And it's like I'm hearing it from both sides. I'm hearing it from people who are nostalgic for that. And I'm hearing it from people who are are not nostalgic for it because they never knew it, but they're like I'm so burnt out on all these spot fests and and now I'm learning to really love this old school style of southern wrestling. And uh So I get where you're coming from. That said, I can appreciate that. I like what they were doing here. Here's the thing like like you know like you know me. Like I'm the same person that'll
1: sit there and like be tired of, of current wrestling and I'll go throw on whatever old shit from like the 70s and 80s. Right. Like, I'm also, I'm, 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 I'm that kind of person. So, with all that being said, like, I understand it. I just don't think Sean Spears is good at it. No, I think Cody Rhodes has done it in good ways. Like the, like, the Magnus match, it worked. The Dustin match, it worked. I don't think this worked. I think it was more a Sean Spears issue. So, while I understand people saying this, I'm not acting like Cody Rhodes, like, has done this and he's just like fucked it up every single time it's sean spears and sean spears isn't good right
2: and that's really where i was going there is that they even you know the magnus match and the the dustin match they they played some of that stuff and they did some of the smoke and mirrors but this match was all hoopla i mean the wrestling took a back seat to booking i mean this was all about the outside i mean it was even part of the fucking match they're like pushing that there's are seconds you know what i mean like a big part of this match is that they have seconds there's the stuff in the entrance with the dog and the the family and you know ddp and all of that stuff and then you know it's it this match was all about what's going on outside of the ring what's going on outside of the wrestling tully i thought tully was good i really did i thought that he did a great job outside of the ring playing you know his character and tully just has that history of just being such a piece of shit that like you buy into him as as an asshole a cheating asshole he's just he's always going to be great at that um so i enjoyed him arn anderson coming out for the spine buster was interesting because didn't he just come out and say that he's got some fucking did he have like parkinson's or some neurological disorder am i i think you're
1: (laughs) confusing him with vampire. no no
2: no (laughs) i swear to god i just saw something come out where arn anderson has something maybe i'm wrong um
1: Man, I'm, I'm pretty sure he could be okay maybe maybe
2: That would be the first time that's ever happened to anyone, literally. Um, but uh, but yeah, unless they both got stabbed by Psycho Sid, that might have happened. Um, either way, um, I could have sworn he came out with the, there's something wrong with him. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't Maybe I don't that Oh, so. you know what I'm thinking of is Malenko. That was Dean Malenko. Something came out with him. Okay. Yeah, that threw me off because I was thinking, and he signed with AEW, and then he came out saying that there's something going on with him
1: i mean either way that's still the first time people have confused demon yes yes arn yes. Anderson. but what
2: threw me off is because they're both in aew and i was like wait didn't he why is he doing a spot that but it wasn't arn oh, either okay, way okay. um yeah like him coming out that's cool like but that's like didn't wasn't that the same shit that happened with rick flair well who was it rick flair versus um undertaker, undertaker where arn came out and hits the spine buster you know it's like
1: yeah, Undertaker went around beating the shit out of everybody yeah. and Ric Flair's family. Yes,
2: yes exactly. What, I mean, the Nightmare family was getting beat up, right? Um, if Sean Spears, if Sean Spears had attacked Pharaoh, then maybe this match could have become Match of the Year contender. Oh, man, may- oh, man maybe. <laughs> maybe. Like, I wouldn't need Sean Spears to attack that dog. He's got this white contact. Why did he have the fucking white contacts? <laughs> Sean Spears fucking <laughs> what sucks. What is he doing? <laughs> I don't even think he sucks. I think that he's actually a good no, wrestler. No. Like, for the spot like he mechanically he can do everything
1: yes yes like yes in the sense that he is trained and can do the things that he is trained to yeah. do at a basic functioning level yes he is a good <laughs> but, wrestler. yeah
2: i mean yeah i don't know they should have signed damien Sando. <laughs> damien sando would have probably been better in this spot honestly Effect, effective
1: effectively the yes. same thing yeah at least you at least you could have did that you know, they had the whole um the fuck? What the fuck was there? To the Sandow and Rhodes oh, day. Uh, oh, gentlemen, scholars. Rhodes scholars. Rhodes scholars. Yeah. yeah. You could, at least you could have done that. Yeah, I
2: didn't even think about that that they were a tag team. But yeah, Damian Sandow would have been the same or better in this same spot. Um, I'm with you. I liked it for what it was. I appreciated it, but like the people who are going nutty for it, I think again it just plays into what i'm talking about with cody though because it worked with the same people that i expect it to work with and and what it does is it it's just setting up cody to be the shadow ace he's the shadow babyface ace of the company he's politically maneuvered himself in a spot where now you have a heel champion and cody is the guy who feels like he should be the person to dethrone him and now he's strong he wins this match again kenny loses to Pac cody beats fucking you know the 10 guy and cody continues to win every one of his fucking matches basically so again i just think that this smart political maneuvering from cody he's delivering for the segment of the fan base that's gonna you know go crazy for him but uh but you know once you look past all the smoke and mirrors this match didn't have really any substance and you know i think people who are going crazy for it and really enjoying it it's like they're just overlooking all of that because they're just so enamored with the idea of like something different
1: all right um next Lucia brother versus the young bucks and uh escalera de la muerte ladder match ladder war ladder match whatever whatever you want to call it and i don't
2: think it can be a ladder war I, if it doesn't have a briscoe brother in it
1: that's prop that's probably legally yeah. true that the briscoes have to be in any ladder war um but no uh, i tr- I tried to be optimistic going into this because it's the young bucks and it's a ladder match and i was like okay like the young bucks are a couple of the best gimmick ma- gimmick match workers ever maybe that maybe maybe it'll be good maybe maybe i'll have some use for it but i didn't really um Phoenix just Phoenix is a lot of cool shit, and that's Phoenix. Like Phoenix is always going to thrive in a setting like this. I feel like the Bucks were actually sort of subdued compared to how they usually yeah. are in ladder matches, and you know I don't have a lot to say about this one. Um, the big thing here is LAX and Tana and Ortiz coming out and them officially being in AEW, which I'm very happy for. I'm glad they didn't go to NXT. But other than that, the match didn't do a lot for me and. Felt very subdued compared to what the Young Bucks usually offer in these type of settings, and continued the streak of what I thought have been very underwhelming tags between the Bucks and Lucha Brothers.
2: Yeah, well, it was interesting, and it's one of the one of the many things about the episode that I did last week with Sam that was I was just sitting here begging and wishing that uh that you were there instead of sam just because i was talking about the young bucks and the the last i think it was the last match they had an roh but it may have not been but it was a ladder war that they had or a ladder match in general it was ladder war with the briscoes and um, socal uncensored and at the time we talked about that it felt like the young bucks were subdued in that match as well comparatively to their history in ladder matches And I didn't remember the match at the time, but now I I looked it up, so now I remember. Um, And that's why I wish you were there, because I knew you would probably have remembered it. And I was just concerned, like, it felt like they were doing that intentionally because they were leaving, and they were letting the other two teams be the shine, and Christopher Daniels especially kind of have his big moment. And are they going—was that just that match, and when they do have another ladder match here, they're going to, you know, be the old bucks who go fucking nutty, and they— They did some stuff, and I thought Nick pulled off some of those spots that Nick is really... Really, the Nick Jackson signature thing is that he does shit in a match every now and then that you remember, like, oh, yeah, Nick is a really good flyer, because a lot of times I think about the Young Bucks, and I just think, like, the stuff that they do, and it's nothing insanely, like, cutting-edge, top-level. It's, like, a lot of cool tandem tag team spots, but nothing that's, like, really great. Like, Phoenix, like, when you talked about what Phoenix can do, like... In the context of the Lucha Brothers matches, there's always stuff that Phoenix does that stands out because he's much better than Pentagon as, like, the high-flying person. But Nick does that every now and then, and he did a couple of those here. But one thing he did here was that fucking crazy-looking bump from the outside through the table that looked like he almost killed himself. I was like, I think Nick may be dead. Like, the way that he caught
1: that— I think that that happened in in the last um, Ladder War, too, where one of them just took a crazy bump. I was like, oh— shit like that's probably not not a good thing to take when you're about to go start this new company and and
2: that like it went wrong like he caught the top rope with his legs he went through only one of the two tables he like he just it was not it was not looking good (laughs) not your best post chief um but yeah it was just like it was concerning and then it Turned out to be true, like you said. Like it felt like the Bucks just weren't. They're not at that level they used to be. That's why I said earlier. Like it made sense when I heard people mention Private Party or like the new Young Bucks, and the Young Bucks are like, they're now turning into the Rock and Roll Express, probably. Um, so,
1: which is I'm I'm still hesitating on that just because I don't. The Lucha Brothers are bad. Fair. Like, I'm I'm still hesitating on that just because I don't think the Lucha Brothers are a very good team, and. I think we'll get a more clear answer on where the Young Bucks are as AEW goes on. But, like, yeah, this wasn't a very encouraging feud for either team, I think. No,
2: no, no, no. This was not good. I don't know. And I thought that the Lucha Brothers were pretty good here, honestly. They did some, again, you talked about, they did some cool spots. But this match, I mean, they went to those, like, stereo stuff way too fucking much here. Especially not just the stereo stuff that makes sense where like both members of the lucha brothers do spears or whatever like where the people on the same team do the same stuff but like the stuff where like the people from the opposite teams are like in tandem doing splashes on ladders across the ring from each other matt and pentagon spearing their each other brother through the ropes through the table stuff where it's just like no no this is too contrived Like, nobody would really do that. You would stop. You would just stop the other guy from hurting your your brother rather than just like, well, fuck it. We're both just going to hurt each other's brothers. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, I'm sorry. I have a brother. And if I'm standing there next to another guy and my brother is across from him and he's going to go attack him, I'm not going to attack the other guy's brother. I'm going to stop him. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop my brother from getting attacked rather than do that. And that's just the way it is. So, like, when you do that repeatedly, I can see once or twice, but they did it multiple times throughout this fucking match. Just way too much and just too cute by half, probably too cute by full um, to take that saying to its uh, conclusion. And just, yeah, I mean, but you could say that about the history of these tag teams against each other. Everything they do is just a little bit, just a little bit too much. So, I'm with you on most of that. Now we get into it, the big time main event... Uh, most important, I guess, match of the show supposedly. Even though I don't think it was a main event.
1: Yeah, and this, is what I mean is that like the first three matches, like this you was didn't all like, Oh man, there's gonna be if a. If you re- watch
2: the pre-show too, you would have yeah, liked but, that too.
1: Yeah, I'd have been so excited, like, oh man, there's gonna be a great show, and then it just slowly and slowly and slowly just started going off that cliff. And right here is nothing is more evident, evident of that than uh the first match for the AEW world title and I'll say like I don't imagine we have a lot of thoughts on this one but Adam Page was really good in this Adam Page tried really hard and I think that's all you can ask for of somebody to do when they're facing Chris Jericho at this point is that Jericho is gonna do other stuff to try to keep up his end of the deal he's gonna talk a lot and do weird stuff like take the camera and all that in order to get the crowd into it, but a lot of the a lot of the work um, at this at this stage for Jericho is going to fall on the other guy, and I think Adam Page had did as well a job as anybody else has, as really bumping around for him, selling a lot, and trying to make this thing work. Yeah,
2: no, and I'll give Page a lot of credit here. Page busted his ass. He brought a lot of intensity. No boo boo face. That He's not winning here when it probably felt like at some point he was slated to be this guy. Um,
1: yeah, like either way, either way, it was the biggest match of Paige's life. Like he had to go out there and, and show he out, did.
2: and he really did. Jericho getting color was weird to me. Um, I could understand it in some sense that it was trying to help to put Paige over because he was losing, um, but I still thought it was a little bit weird.
1: Well, that's well that even then I thought that was weird too because there's a such thing as getting someone over in defeat, right. and if you were gonna let like go for like this, la- and I get it, like the the lasting image you want is Jericho holding the title of the Cafetti Falls and all that like that's the last image. But I feel like if you were really going for let's get Adam Page over and really make sure that the audience is all in on him as the next guy in line as we end this broadcast, like Adam Page absolutely should have been the guy that yeah. was
2: bleeding. But but you talked about you talked about Jericho and what you can expect from him, but I thought that he did a really good job here working kind of his his version of a maestro kind of thing which is like he he
1: he did he did as much as you can expect him yeah like i'm not saying that jericho is flat out bad in this but you also are able to look at that and be like man thank god for adam page being it being so young and full of life and able to just fly around and sell and do all the other do all this other stuff that jericho just isn't doing yeah
2: but but i thought that jericho when when i say like his version of being a maestro it's like picking the little counters and the little spots that he did, I thought worked. I really, really liked the um, the counter of the the apron um, shooting star press with the codebreaker. I thought that, that was a cool little thing that played off of both guys, really, both guys' signature spots and things to expect from both of them. So I, again, like I said, Jericho picked little spots to throw in some stuff that really helps play off of his, his character of being the veteran, being the the guy who's going to be able to find those little those little things and i thought the commentary did amazing here. Jer- JR was was pretty bad for the whole night honestly. Um, he was had a lot of random non-sequiturs. It felt it was probably very difficult for Excalibur, but I will say even Excalibur didn't was not flawless here things that I like Excalibur doing in PWG, I think he needs to knock off in AEW when he's talking about the bicycle kick and he does the, the dusty roads bi-thickle. you know, he hit them with a thickle like that felt weird in this context to me, especially that he's sitting there with JR. and I'm just like, you know, that feels like maybe drop that, you know, in this setting, you don't need to say stuff like that, but throughout the night, you know, obviously JR had a lot of really awkward, weird little comments that are just like, what, Is he... He's just having fun. Is this guy getting paid? Is he just drunk and just hanging out? Like, there's times where it just felt like he was not being professional at all and just having offhanded comments. But in this match, it felt like he turned it up and he did a really, really good job putting over Jericho. And I think that that was something that was very necessary because a lot of people know who Jericho is. Jericho's a big star. I think that you're not going to get an argument from, like, me and you about that Jericho should have been the guy to win this. If this is... The match for the title i think we both would say that it made sense to put jericho with the strap but i think there's still people who are probably questioning it and i talked about it on the the preview again but the idea that like aew would have still put the title on page just to send a message to the crowd that we're not going to go with the old guys we're going to go with our guys just to make that clear um i could have understood that but i thought that jr did a really good job of putting over jericho so that you could maybe win over some of those fans and maybe at the end of it the people who were a little bit questioning why would you go with jericho he's an old washed up piece of shit jr helped to like add some credibility and make you understand why he's a big deal and why he's the guy who should have the title so i appreciated that um so i can you know maybe jr should do like they did in wwe for a while where the only time that they come out for commentary is for certain matches, like the big matches where he it makes sense for him to be there. Because otherwise I think he did detract a little bit from the comment from the from the show as a whole, um, on commentary. There was repeatedly time like I watched this show with Alicia and there was repeated times where she was remarking at something stupid that JR was saying. And it's like she is about as casual of a wrestling fan as you can be, and like you don't want that person getting turned off by your commentary. You know, and that's what's happening with JR here. So, unfortunately, I think that's an issue. That said, I think teasing the, the walls of Jericho multiple times did really well. Teasing the, uh, what is what is he calling the, uh, the last rites or whatever now? The, 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 the dead eye? Uh, teasing the dead eye repeatedly, I thought, did really well. Um, putting over the roaring elbow that busted open Jericho as he repeatedly goes for it, I thought was, was really good. Um, so, there was a lot to enjoy here. But, you know, Jericho is old. So, like you said, you can only expect so much from him. And you were in not the best situation and I thought that both guys brought it I said on the preview that I thought that there was this match was ha- probably the match on the show that had the highest ceiling and the lowest basement it was like probably the wildest possibility for what could end up happening like this match could have been complete garbage or it could have been it could have actually ended up being a match of the year contender and I think what we ended up was something in the middle really inoffensive yeah really not what you want for your first title match, though. Not really how you want to set the record books for who your first champion is in really any way, I don't think. But um, but you're not going to say, like, that match was terrible. I don't think.
1: Alright, so I think that's about... Um, oh, no, it is not. The, We're, uh, we have the
2: out. most important show of the weekend to talk about. Uh, GCW, Black Label Pro, Two Cups Stuffed, uh, big oh, time fuck, oh. <laughs> important show that happened this weekend uh Worst, okay I who comes up who comes up I with don't his know, man. what's his name mikey yeah yeah, yeah. mikey what's his mikey, name, mikey from
1: mikey, black Label pro mikey i'm going to tell you buddy um midwestern white guy uh doing a show based off of lean um is real cringy and probably wasn't the best idea uh yeah black black label black label Pro is a lot of cringy names but uh midwestern white dude talking about lean which is like literally kill people and doing that as a show name not the best decision and probably shouldn't do that shit again like that, that's all i got to say yeah. there
2: all right i'll give it to you i uh i'm with you it was not not a great name um I will just mention, I was excited for Eric Stevens, filthy Tom Lawler versus violence forever. We mentioned it, we sure, mentioned sure, sure. it on the, the preview. And then, and then I think Eric Stevens got a concussion during that match. Um, the match was still good, but yeah, I think he was bummed out about that, but I was just joking about bringing that one up. Um, you know,
1: yeah, but you just reminded me of how bad that fucking. I know, was. man. And it really, and it really, like, even then like it annoyed the shit out of me when I first saw it.
2: Black label pro you are, you are posting cringe. Um, so yeah uh otherwise quentin you got anything else you want to uh tell people about talk about before we head out
1: uh no i think we're good like that was a really busy wrestling weekend and i think now we can uh relax a little bit more do some more stuff that like we just want to talk about relax a whole bunch of weird stuff and go all over the place but no real cohesiveness to it so I think now we're at, we're at a point. We're at a, we're at a point in the year where we can relax a little bit, and I think uh, next week will just be all over yes, the board. Yes, and
2: we were scheduled to talk about it this week, but we'll get to it next week. Um, Takeshi uh, six nine versus uh, David A Ayo- or Steve Aoki, um, the, the rap <laughs> battle. Um, DJ versus rap battle. No, um, uh, Kinosuke Takashida versus uh, uh, Shinya Aoki seems like very interesting i'll be watching that as soon as we hang up i i, I encourage everyone else to do that as well um there's some other stuff that i saw the only thing i oh, said so jay lit i told you the only thing from jay lit that i thought that you should watch and the only thing that i really enjoyed was aj gray versus nick gage um i enjoyed that
1: yeah yeah i'll make sure to watch i'll make sure to, wa- make sure to yeah, watch yeah. that and then um another Kento Miyahara versus naya Ooh. Nomura match for the triple crown title just happened and a lot of rave reviews coming in for that already so we'll 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 have a we'll have a busy yeah, show we'll
2: next have some week. stuff to talk about but uh, either way. No, you're not gonna get
0: what you need but baby i have what you want come get your honey your name is like a rose on the pavement every color and every taste every breath it whispers your name is like a rose on the pavement i got your honey baby at the heart of some kind of flower stuck in little just of saliva won't you give me